This episode is sponsored by Surmise. Their software makes contract review, creation and management easy for legal teams wherever they work. Go check them out at surmise.com. That's S-U-M-M-I-Z-E dot com. Hi, I'm Anne, and she's Rach, and this is So You Think You Want to Be a Lawyer, a podcast where we'll be sharing our own legal journeys, top tips on how to qualify as a solicitor, and what you do to stay sane and healthy when you get there. So really exciting this week, we have Kyle Holling, who is a partner at Trows and Hamlins, where I used to work. Thank you for finding time for us today. Hello. No problem. Yes, well, glad to be here. Oh, thanks for joining us, Kyle. Well, I mean, I guess let's get started and let's start right at the beginning. Why did you want to be a lawyer? So that's a really interesting question. And the honest answer is I ran out of other options. <laughs> so a long time ago when I was at high school, I did a lot of maths and science. And that was kind of the thing that people did at that time in New Zealand where I'm from. Um, being an engineer was kind of the, the big thing that people aspired to do. And I I got to the end of high school and I thought, I'm a bit tired of doing maths and science. Maybe I want to try something else. Went and did a year of university and I got to the end of that year and I'd got into the degree course for law. And I have quite enjoyed doing that first year. So perhaps I'll carry on doing that. And so that's what I did. I managed to string out my university career to five years by doing a degree in psychology as well. Did you? Yes. That was a a nice counterpoint really to the more black letter technical bits of the law slightly kept me saying some of the things that a psychology degree required you to research and do. Maybe that's why you're such a good team leader, Kyle. (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll let you talk about that, shall I? (laughs) I wonder if that psychology degree put it into use. We'll come back to that, I guess. So let me just make sure I understood you correctly. So you did an LLB, which was four years, and that's how it worked in New Zealand. That's right, yeah. And and then once you've done that degree in New Zealand, you do a a short course, I I believe is something akin to the LPC. It's only a three-month course. And then you are a qualified lawyer. Probably the big difference between New Zealand and, and here is you don't have to have that two years of experience to get the label of a solicitor. This is anecdotal because I never actually practiced in New Zealand, but I think you start out with the label solicitor, but you're very much a junior, similar to what I think trainee solicitors would describe it as. And then once you've been doing the role for a couple of years, you're sort of perceived to have got your head around it and you know the pay goes up a little bit and the responsibility goes up a little bit. So I get the feeling that although the labels are different, there's not a huge amount of difference in practice. And then, so what happened with coming to the UK? I think that's a bit of a rite of passage. New Zealand's an amazing country, fantastic people, great quality of life, lots of positives about it, but it's stuck at the bottom of the world very far away from anything else. So I probably said this to you before, Rachel, the two things I tend to say about London in particular, you can't go to Rome for the weekend if you live in Christchurch. And another version of that is, you know, whatever you like to do in London, doesn't really matter if it's the ballet or the opera or death metal or anything in between, you can kind of do that every night of the week if you want to. And if you come from where I come from, you're lucky enough to see big events like that maybe once or twice a year, and you probably have to fly to Auckland to get to them. And I came to London and I loved it and I didn't want to leave. And uh, I happened to get a job at Trowers about three weeks after I landed. And I've been there ever since as well. That's all worked out okay in the end. It seems to have gone really well, I would say. So you hopped on a plane with no job and then stayed forever? Yeah. So Anne, I, I left New Zealand and I went to America and I, I bummed around a ski field for a season. And then, yes, I landed in London on 5th of May 2001. And uh, I happened to have a mate whose floor I dosed on for the first month or two until we went and rented a flat. Uh, and he worked at Trousers as a paralegal. And luckily enough, three weeks later through him, I was also working at Trousers as a paralegal. <laughs> and I've been there ever since. Quite a good uh, story. I can't believe I didn't know this. Oh, I thought, I thought I'd t- told you that story years. before. 
So, yeah, this is my mate, Richie. He lives in the Cayman Islands now. Um, so, nice. yeah, we do get around us Kiwis. Nice. So you joined, you started as a paralegal. At mm-hmm. what point did you start on the path? Well, so, yeah, that was the key difference, as I mentioned. In, in New Zealand, you don't do that two years of experience. So at the time, I had to have two years experience to qualify as a solicitor here. Right. So I could have done that two years in New Zealand and brought it with me. I hadn't done that. I'd left. So I had to get that two years experience here and I paralegaled in what was the social housing department of Trowers for that two years. It's now part of the wider real estate practice. And a bit like a trainee lawyer would have to do through going through a series of seats, you had to show a diversity of sort of practice areas. Luckily enough, I was able to do that because the, the department, the team that I worked in did a whole range of different things. So although it was sort of a real estate team at its core, because it was a social housing focused team, we had sort of social housing regulation. There was a lot of charity and charity governance type work. We did social care focused stuff for the client base. So there was sort of social care regulation and other things. So we were able to paint a picture that was acceptable to the people that needed to accept it, that there was enough diversity of the practice that I could qualify without having to sort of have moved around any more than I had, with a small exception that we had to show some disputes experience. And I I was able to do a bit of that from the sort of day-to-day work because um, although I was on a non-contentious team, we worked with contentious team where it came in. And I was also lucky enough that the firm supported me to find a friend who was a barrister and I followed him around for a couple of weeks to sort of again that helped me build the case to show I had the right kind of experience. So after a bit over two years, I'd take the boxes. So you did two years um, and it sounds like mostly in social housing or associated work with that. So I guess yeah. you almost didn't have a choice or did you in terms of what you actually then qualified and sort of specialised in? I suppose you'd say I didn't have a choice, but then I don't think I really wanted one. So again, I was really enjoying the work I was doing and the people I was working with and enjoying the firm. And I'd felt really supported to get to that point. And again, I, I, I felt supported even beyond that point and into qualification because the firm made sure I ended up with a job, which they absolutely didn't have to do. I think these days, firms are more open to and certainly trowers is more open to recognizing that people can come into the law from different places for example you know we make sure that we have training contracts specifically available for paralegals in the business to go off and do a training contract now when i was coming through it was very much a focus on the trainee solicitors that was where the investment was made and so the message that i had was we need to make sure all the trainees have jobs and then we need to see what happens after that but there were certain people in the business who obviously felt it was worth trying to keep me on and trying to do some work to do that. And it just so happened that all the trainee solicitors who qualified around the time I became a solicitor got jobs. And there happened to be one job left that happened to be in the team that I'd been working in. I was lucky in that sense that the firm saw it was worth trying to keep me in that role. And that was the role that I sort of felt that I wanted so it worked for everybody all around I think is is, is probably how, how it played out in practice. I wonder if you asked them if that job that just happened to be available for you was actually created because they knew they wanted to keep Yeah no I think that's that is what happened Anne, is I think okay. they, I don't think they would have deliberately created a role if they didn't need one yeah but my understanding is if there was sort of any doubt as to whether they needed one or not the fact that I was around meant that there wasn't any doubt and it was sort of worked in a way that worked out well for everybody. That- and then what? You're qualified? How did it go? How did you find it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it worked out right. And, and I, I think I've had a pretty typical career. I started at the coal face where you're sort of a cog in a wheel and you're not particularly aware of what's going on in a wider transaction. Then you get made responsible for some little things. And then as you go through, you get made responsible for more. And eventually you're responsible for projects and maybe for client relationships, you know, individuals within the 
client and then you become a senior associate and a junior partner and you're responsible for a bit more and your outlook has to change I think and be more about the business and not just about your own personal performance you have to start thinking well maybe it's not just about me maybe it's about the team and it's about the team's performance and then it's about the business and the business's performance and maybe that means that you don't do the work yourself or your team doesn't do the work because it could be done from a different place which might be a bit cheaper that might make more profit or that might allow a relationship to evolve that gives you more repeat business, which is good for the firm. You need to be focused on the, the business as a whole and, and achieving growth and effective outcomes for the business as a whole. And then getting an even bigger bonus at the end. Well, you know, as you go through a career in private practice, like I suppose in lots of careers, yeah, the remuneration improves over time. You do the hard yards for that. And one of the things about Trowers is the culture is not sacrificed for, for profit. So obviously we want to make money we're a business and we want to make sure we can recruit and retain the the sorts of people the caliber of people that we want to but we also have an outlook that strives to make sure that people have a decent work-life balance and can achieve the things that they want to achieve outside of work as well as inside of it it's great that you mentioned that because actually that was one of the questions that we wanted to ask in terms of how you see building a team and one of the things that you said earlier struck me that firstly just in you becoming um, a solicitor first at Trowers they worked hard to make sure that you could fit in and then after that they're you know making sure that the trainees qualify that the paralegals are qualifying and you just said there about making sure the culture is right how much is that importance of sort of work-life balance yes but also that all-encompassing diversity label work within trying to create the right balance and team for you and that's diversity in every way race gender sexuality everything i think there are loads of different ways that you can look at this there's a range of different sort of levels that you can apply that so so i guess like for me personally and building my team that's delivering for my clients and the real estate department directly reporting to me on a day-to-day basis the focus really is, have I got the right person for the role? So, you know, that that is really about what are their credentials? What is their experience? Will they fit in with the team? All of those things. I think at a business level, then we've got to make sure that we're addressing diversity to make sure that people, whether it's race, religion, sexual orientation, whatever it is, mm-hmm. are able to be in the mix to be candidates, to be selected, to come into my team or whatever team in the in the business that needs to be grown. And, you know, that includes junior lawyers, lateral hires, promotions to the senior management team, support teams, I think, you know, across the whole business. And I, I think Trowers culturally has always been a very inclusive place. Obviously, you'll have to take that with a grain of salt because I'm a heterosexual white male. Sure. Um, so, you know, my encounters of difficulties with diversity will not be the same as, as some others. Yeah. But I think we are a pretty inclusive place and the culture is aligned to that. Where I think it's probably changing and has changed over the last several years, and not just in my business, but in, you know, in, I think in professional services, legal services, and, and across, you know, much more than just that, is a much stronger recognition of the need to formally make sure that there are policies in place and that there are decision-making processes that account for diversity, account for unconscious bias and those sorts of things. Um, You know, we have some formal things that we're signed up to that look to achieve that. And, you know, there's messages that go out to the market that people will see like about those things. And I'm sure other businesses do the same, but there's also a lot of communication internally, um, both on the sort of formal side. So, you know, we have a race action plan and we did some reporting back in June about data collection around uh, Black, Asian and minority ethnic background people coming into the business, retention, 
uh, attrition, coming in at different levels with a lateral hire or growing from, you know, newly qualifieds and trainees and those sorts of things. And, and you know, that's data collection with a view to understanding better how we can improve access to the profession for people from different backgrounds. Yeah. Do you do any of the blind hiring stuff yet? When CVs are submitted, the address, name is all redacted. So it's literally on experience. It sounds like a really, because, you know, when you see someone's name, you make an impression about them, don't you? Or yes. You I mean, this... like they're from West London or North London or from <laughs> Scotland or something. Or There's even their like school this... as well. Yeah. Like, you know. School, yeah. Like if you have grades and experience, there are tools, I think, or the way in which you do it, it can be all hidden. And those are, yeah, those are all important things. And those are the sorts of things that we're looking at definitely. Mm -hmm. But also the the sort of informal stuff as well. So one of the things that I've found really interesting over the last couple of years is we've done a lot of internal communication just from individual people in the firm about their religious beliefs, for example. So we've had seminars and webinars where people have just talked about their religious beliefs and religious practices so that people can understand a bit more about some of the belief systems and the practicalities, I guess, of of how people of different faiths live their lives. And that's been really fascinating. We've done a a fair bit of work on uh, LGBTQ plus uh, along the same lines. So people are discussing these things internally and just, you know, I think opinion sharing. And when you've got actual colleagues within the firm talking about lived experience I think that's really valuable and sort of hits home for people a bit more so that's been interesting that's you know I really like I that's really amazing to hear and I really like it but you're right it is the sort of lived experience part of it because I remember when I joined there was sort of a train a trainee who was visibly Jewish for example because you know obviously they were wearing the I'm going to get the religious dress wrong so I won't attempt to pronounce it but that was just it was obvious and therefore when he left on Friday's that was just known and it's just that sort of seeing it and having people talk about it and making it more comfortable just means that people are just more open to it and won't be so sort of unintentionally uh, what's the word I'm looking for I guess biased maybe you know because sometimes it'll be like oh they're leaving early and it's like okay but this is the reason why and then just take a step back and just make it more human I guess I really like that that's the effort that's going in and are people sort of receptive to, receptive to it and it seems to be going well I think so yeah I think people are willing to listen and and want to understand more about you know how other people view the world um, whether that's because of race or religious belief or sexual orientation or, or whatever it is yeah and one of the reasons you know at a personal level one of the reasons why I never left London is when I got here I just found it a really diverse mm-hmm. um, place and I, I thought that was a really interesting and and sort of different to where I'd come from in many ways and and I enjoyed that and still do and uh you know I think as a society we've got lots of work to do and and you know businesses and sectors and and individuals have got lots of work to do but I do think we are lucky in some ways that you know the country that we live in and the society we live in is is quite diverse and and uh, and that, um, you know, in some ways starts us off on the right foot, at least. And then, so you also talked about the culture and this, I mean, the, the actual fit within the team, right? The atmosphere and what that's like. Do you ever use any of the psychology that you mentioned you've learned to sort of apply what you think is a good fit? Or is that just going too deep and actually is it just you're just looking for a fit for the trowers sort of way? Yeah, I, I have at times thought about my about about psychology, but I wouldn't say and I've ever formally applied it to a process like that my, my interests actually generally in my psychology degree uh, which I haven't engaged with for a while now but we're around the sort of social psychology side which is sort of pushing up against sociology so okay. how does an individual react in a group setting and yeah. um, how can it how can an individual be influenced by groups and those sorts of things 
so those sorts of those sorts of areas I've I've considered from time to time. But yeah, generally with with sort of bringing people into the team into the business, it, it's really about fit for me. And we look at that probably like lots of businesses. You know, what is the skill set? What is the need of the business? Does, does it look like there's a, a sort of personality and alignment an alignment that will fit with the culture of the firm? Um, those sorts of things. Um, How did Rachel? So I think <laughs> up you. I am amazing. I'm amazing. I I'm just wondering how you passed all these tests. Then, like, what happened? Uh-huh. So, one know- one thing about trousers is we we definitely have <laughs> no problem with people with you know p- personality and expressing yeah. one's personality is is never a problem um, and is encouraged if anything. And the team was know. always amazing. Like in terms of like the things that we did as a team. Uh, touching on like the psychology sociology element there was so much trust between a group of give or take six six or so individuals like people would focus on their work they would do their work but there was no because of the trust between us there was no problem when you're having a chat you're catching up you're talking about something non-work related you're going for lunch for an hour we're going out for a drink you know there was never like work chat that was like agonizing or painful, like during a lunch or a like thing we went to. And there was this continual building of the friendship between us, like all, and the work hard side. Yeah, no, people people get on um, and it's important that people do. Um, and we, yeah, we, we, I've always been lucky enough that the personalities in my team have, have fit together pretty well and we haven't had lots of difficulties, which is great. And yeah, that, the other bit, Rach is yeah the um taking a step back and just having a conversation or having lunch or enjoying yourself I've never I've never really worried about that in my career and certainly as a manager because I just think it's so easy not to worry about as a lawyer you have to justify every six minutes of your life in private practice so if people aren't doing their job it's going to be pretty apparent at the end of the year because there'll be some numbers askew somewhere so if you want to go and have lunch or go and have an evening out you know as long as there's not immediate deal pressure for a particular transaction that's going to cause a problem with that and go off and do it you know it it looks after itself people have got to take responsibility for their own performance at some point you were made up to be partner do you feel that you were in control of that it's a slightly weird way of putting it but did you make that decision was it conscious or did you fall into i'm still here after many years i think i always wanted to go as far as possible in my career so I was always pushing to get to the next level Mm -hmm. um you know even as a newly qualified and I was I was a little bit different because I'd done two years in the same team so I was I was sort of quite quickly doing relatively complex work for somebody at at my level and (laughs) no no not nothing to do with that just really more more obstinance, more wanting to do more, more wanting to progress my career. So therefore I have to, I have to do the more complicated work. I want the next challenge because I want to prove that I'm up to it and then go to the next level and then prove it again and go to the next level. And that's just, that was always my drive and ambition. So it was always, you know, at the earliest opportunity that I could push to go into a a partnership role, I I wanted to do that. And it took some time and the firm, but the firm supported me, the firm sort of steered me through my career as a, as a lawyer, sat me down and said, these are the things you need to make sure you work on, you've got to improve in these areas, you've got to focus on these things, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that stuff. Um, so I felt I had a good steer. Uh, and so I think because you've got that steer 
And because you have that focus, it's sort of generally, well, for me, and I think I've seen it in lots of other people coming through the business as well, you know, there are certain people that you just, I'm not putting myself in this category, but I'm looking back at people, you know, that I've seen come through the business. You just look at them and think, well, they're a partner. They'll be a partner. There's no doubt about it. It's just a question of time. And uh, we've just got to support them and make sure we give them the tools to get there. We have some more formal processes in the firm now as well. We have a Pathways to Partnership program, which is designed to educate people who are looking at partnership roles as to what that really entails. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think one of the, you know, one of the big challenges for me was, and I think you felt this too, Rachel, is you're you're a partner and then suddenly you're meant to shift that outlook that I described earlier. Sort of it's a it's not quite an about face, but you're you're very much expected to look at at your career and at what the firm is trying to achieve and what you're trying to achieve differently. So we have some systems in place to sort of help like, people understand that better before I, they go into it. I see, I felt like it was almost like you could see the sky, you were aiming for it, you know the sky's there, you know how the sky works, and then all of a sudden you're above the clouds. And there's more sky. Like your access to the information, yeah. the ongoing like, administ- like administrative decision-making side of a business running and operating and all the things happening. It was like another level of mm. thing going on, right? Yeah, and it's, it was one of the bigger challenges of my career was that initial step into partnership, as I recall, because in a sense, you're expected to carry on delivering all of the work that you were delivering before, but also on top of that, you know, not instead of, on top of that, deliver all these things that is expected, that are expected of a partner. So managing a team and going out and doing more business development work and maybe taking on some kind of internal management role as well. So, so you sort of, in a sense, you're, you're, you're performing two roles. I think as you become more senior, I, wouldn't, I, would, I don't think the level of activity if it reduces and but but in a sense you you stop doing some of that initial role because you've got a team of people that builds up underneath you to do more of the day-to-day work and and manage some of the relationships and projects for you so you can step more towards some of those other areas but it is a big step up it is a big step up and and I suppose thinking of steps up you've got all of that going on I can't remember the timings of things personally for you but you obviously have a lot of children as well (laughs) are a working dad so you've not only got doing the day job doing the partnership track and all the family as well how do you manage all of that how many is a lot Uh, of kids before you answer that I have five children. Um, okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So and, and obviously Alice is an absolute hero. She's incredible. A midwife or still, you know, trained in that space. So she obviously loves the baby, but. <laughs> How do you do it, Kyle? <laughs> well, I think you've, you sort of answered the question in, in a large sense. So it's, a, it is challenging at times. I'm very fortunate that I've got a really good support network. So my wife is incredibly supportive and has been of my career. She does, you know, the bulk of the childcare work, which is a challenge in its own right, because as you say, Rach, um, she has her own career as a midwife. And actually she has two careers at the moment because she's she's also started her own aesthetics business in the last two Ooh. years. Um, yeah. So uh, so she has she has yeah, we can. She has all of that uh, to do and and the family. Uh, and she has to deal with me disappearing possibly for weeks at a time under projects or whatever. So that support is incredibly 
are important and we have also wider support so my parents-in-law in particular are just around the corner and do a lot of helping with childcare for both of us which is you know incredibly incredibly valuable so we managed to make it work between us but um, I think the lion's share if I'm honest is done by other people uh, you know so the challenge in some ways for me is making sure I I find a bit of work like that work-life balance to uh, spend time with the family which is is you know at times a challenge but you do have to step back and recognize that that's important as well and I, I think for me it's the peaks and troughs I used to get a bit stressed at times in my career when the work got a bit quiet and worry about where the next thing was coming from and now I just I take I take it on faith that uh, the next project is coming. Don't worry about it. Take it as an opportunity to um, to get a bit of work life balance in while you can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And speaking of work life balance, have you got any sort of favorite you know fun times at Towers like ski trips? Rach used to talk to me about those all the time. Anything fun? Obviously, if any scandal happened, I'd like to know it, whether or not it goes in the podcast. But yeah, tell us about the fun um, times. Yeah, so. The- for me, it's just about having the opportunity to socialize and, and let mm-hmm. one's hair down in whatever way. So, you know, there, there are formal things that the firm does. Um, the ski trips, uh, I've been on a number of those. They've been great. There are, you know, the, the real estate team from Trowers was at Regent's Park playing softball last week, which was one of our first in-person outings for a while. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it, but I they had a great time. But also, you know, the just some of the informal stuff, the opportunity to say, right, it's it's Friday afternoon, there's nothing massively pressing, you know, let's take the team down and have a drink or go for a meal or whatever. And so for me, it's, it's about making sure that as a business, and I guess as a leader, as a manager, that we're giving people the opportunity to get that balance in. So it's not just work, work, work all the time. So there are some formal things that you can organize and give people the opportunity to do, uh, which we do. And then, you know, the things that you organize as, as a team yourself. So, I mean, within my team, we try and it's been slightly harder, obviously, with the pandemic, but we try and do one or two social outings a year. I think the last one we did before the pandemic was axe throwing. Um, oh, wow. So, uh, throwing. <laughs> yeah, I had to make sure I stood at the back of the room and just in case anybody really wanted to vent some frustrations. Um, but yeah, we've done escape rooms and uh, those sorts of things, as, as well as just the uh, as well as just the, you know, let's organize a dinner or drinks and uh, and go and do that. So. Yeah, some of that organised fun can be quite entertaining if you uh, put the right stuff together. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, well, Kyle, uh, conscious of time, and we don't want to keep you any longer than we promised. We like to do a thing that we like to call the quick fire round, which will just switch to email. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's just supposed to be just whatever first comes into your head. Um, it can be one word answers, but it can be longer, however you want it to go. Shall we start? Let's go. Okay, so it's now time for our quick fire round. We ask all of our interviewees a few questions. We want you to give the first answer that comes into your head when we ask the question. Here we go. So the first question we ask everybody is in-house or private practice? Private practice, I think, is pretty much a given, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Love Island, when it was on, obviously, or cricket or something else? Not Love Island. Never seen it. <laughs> Sport, anything with a ball in it. Cricket, rugby, football, probably in that order. So there was a thing that uh, we had with my friends and I at Links, where mostly because we just wanted something other than work to talk about. We had a celebrity wall where if we happened to catch celebrities doing anything, whether it was at any events that we went to or we take pictures and then we'd have them on the wall. And so if we had a virtual celebrity wall, what would be your moment that would go on our wall? Oh, man, I don't have any exciting stories to tell about celebrities, I don't think. My <laughs> mates tend to do these. Th- I'm like the bad luck charm. Whenever my mates encounter somebody mildly famous, it's when I'm not around. Right. Um, <laughs> 
so they, they, they've, they've been backstage with a couple of New Zealand bands and a couple of them crashed one of the commentary boxes at the cricket. And I all I ever hear is the stories afterwards. I always miss out on all the fun. I think that's a good entry. We've that's got a good entry. So one thing you wish you knew at the start of your career that you know now. There's always more work. So don't panic about that and make sure you get a bit of work life in. Cool. That's a really good one. Would you have done anything differently in your career? I'm sure that I could look back and say that there are little things that I would change, but in terms of the overall path that my career is taking, no, I'm I'm very happy with how it's gone and I'm very happy with where I am. How do you manage stress at work? I shout at people like you, Rachel, who are working <laughs> in my team constantly. Uh, no, again, I think you just have to recognise that it's it's work, it's stressful. We all have to help each other through it. And I think context is important. My wife, as I mentioned, is a midwife. And uh, if we make a mistake, somebody probably loses some money and probably there's some insurance that covers that. Uh, if somebody in my wife's line of work makes a mistake, somebody could well die. So I think if you start to think about life you know, in context, that can help you get a bit of perspective. Absolutely. And actually, I guess touching on that, we always ask people, what was your biggest mistake? And it's more just about showing mistakes can be made. But as you just said, it's not really the end of the world. They can be fixed. I think my biggest mistake is actually not recognizing that mistakes really as bad as you think they are and can generally always be fixed. And I think particularly as a junior lawyer, I spent a lot of time worrying about things that had gone a little bit wrong and stressing over them. And then you'd find that you'd go and talk to somebody about them and they'd say, no, I don't think you should worry about that. Or here's the solution. Or let's go and talk to these people and it'll sort itself out. And invariably it did. It's almost never the case that you can't do something great answer what would you be if not a lawyer well i suppose i would say back in the day i always fancied the idea of being a pilot and, and given for that yeah given well given what's happened in the last couple of years i suspect i'm uh, uh, i'm much better off having pursued a career in the law <laughs> I, don't, I don't think piloting is uh has been fantastic for people in the global pandemic <laughs> amazing answers pal well, thank you so much. That is it. That's, and I just want to say thank you so much for giving us your time. This was a lot of fun and really interesting to hear somebody who thought they wanted to be a lawyer and is in fact still a lawyer in private <laughs> practice. Still a proper lawyer. You are our moderation, Holling. Exactly. No. Here's the balance. Thank you very much. It's been really enjoyable. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Oh, thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We always have a great time on the podcast and appreciate everyone who comes back and listens every week. Feel free to like, subscribe, rate us five stars on Apple iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. And of course, if you have any questions, then feel free to get in touch with us at so you think you want to be a lawyer at gmail.com or any other of our social media and contacts, which we will leave in the show notes. Hopefully we'll get around to answering some of your questions on future episodes of the podcast. And in the meantime, please keep coming back. Thanks.